All right, everybody, we are back with yet another episode of Hypergrowth, the podcast that's dedicated to unpacking what it takes to build a rapidly scalable e-commerce business. I'm your host, Arjun Jolly, co-founder of Ad Quadrant, and joining me today is Yuki Kinoshita, co-founder of Pluffle. Pluffle makes a pretty fun product that's built to give you basically the best nap of your life. Uh, think of it as a giant dog bed for humans. It's made of the softest flow fur that you can find. It, it has an orthopedic foam base. 360-degree pillow uh, bolsters that will make you feel like you're sleeping on clouds. And the fun part is they were actually on Shark Tank last year as well and did get offered a deal by Mark Cuban himself. So, Yuki, thanks so much for uh, joining me on the show. It was great to meet you last uh, month or so in Vegas. And, uh, yeah, really excited to have you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Arjun. Couldn't have sold the product better myself, so... Well, look, I mean, it's uh, we're talking about sleep and who doesn't who doesn't love sleep and need more of it. Right. So so let's talk a little bit about why you even started in the first place. And honestly, like how you came up with the idea of a dog bed for humans. Yeah. So honestly, a lot of the credit goes to my co-founder. His name is Noah, uh, my best friend from college. Uh, we've been friends since freshman year and he worked at this coffee shop uh, and the owners had this huge Great Dane. It's really pretty elderly, like near the end of its life. So they were really obsessed, you know, in a good way over, over this dog. And uh, one of his, one of my Noah's main jobs is just taking care of it. And uh, they, the owners really wanted it to like cuddle up with the dog. So like it could feel kind of like at ease out as it was passing away. And so Noah spent a crazy amount of time just sleeping with this dog bed. Like he got paid to sleep with his great den in, in this giant customized dog bed. And one of his pain points, because he spent so much time sleeping, I was like, man, this is like not that comfortable, at least for like people, you know, it's like, it's just like this thin pillow mattress. It's not that, it's not that great. And he's like, I'm seeing a lot of time in it. I'm like waking up super achy. And he's like, goes to Google. It's like, I want to like, I want to convince these people to get like a dog bed that's big enough for, for people. And he Googles it and it doesn't exist. It's like, there's no extra, there's like extra large dog beds don't really exist that even, or can fit a great day. Um, obviously nothing for, for people. And, you know, at, at that time, I'm obviously very good friends with him. So it's like, Yuki, like, I, I had this idea, like, dog bed for people, or there's nothing that exists on the internet. Like, what do you think? And I'm like, dude, I love that idea. Like, I nap every day. And every time I'm in school, I'm like, damn, I wish there was like a nice place to nap. I'm like, this is it. Like, this is a napping product. We got something on our hands here. And uh, yeah, that, that was kind of how everything started. And from there, we just we just went on, built a prototype, uh, and the rest is, rest is history. So what, uh, when, when you guys went to, to start it, and I mean, I, I love the story, right? Because it's like such a wacky idea and it's not what you would normally think of as like, hey, I'm going to launch this brand and, you know, do all this due diligence, et cetera, or, or many people have a background in the industry and it doesn't sound like you, either of you had that background as like, you know, uh, dog owners or mattress background or anything like that. So so what was your what was your play like? You you went into the prototyping mode, but did you do market research or anything to validate uh, the idea before actually going for it and launching it? Yeah, totally. And I think it also helped that we weren't dog owners because like we kind of had this outside perspective. Um, you know, dog owners we talked to them, they're like dog beds are for dogs. Like you know, like it's very separated. So for us, it was just like why can't you know, why can't people sleep in this too? Like there's no problem with that. So that definitely helped with like the ideation process and just executing, but no, no background. So we kind of just figured it out from scratch. Our first goal was to just go at it. Like we've always been like that from day one, you know, there's definitely a benefit to being super methodical and like researching everything out, but we're very much like, we have this idea, we go for it, you know, we just execute. And that's just uh, like what Noah and I wanted to do. So we just wanted to really make the product 
type because we wanted to see if this idea of ours was actually comfortable and would actually be practical in, in practice. So we just found a local seamstress off Craigslist. Um, she was from France, uh, just immigrated here maybe like a year ago. And uh, we worked with her. We just brought her like a huge piece of fabric, a piece of foam, and some pillow pillows from Ikea. And it was like, can you make a human dog bed? I don't think she understood us because she barely spoke any English, but I think she just understood that we were making like a large dog bed. So like after the week of like hand stitching this thing, she comes back to us with this like well-made prototype for like zero instruction. We didn't have a blueprint. We had nothing. We just told her to make a large dog bed. And she came back with this pretty comfortable looking dog bed that was big enough to fit a person. And it, in fact, it was so comfortable that we had like all our friends absolutely loving it, always asking us, like texting us, hey, can I like, you have the pluffle, is it on campus? Like, I'm going to go sleep on it, nap on it. To the point where, you know, it wasn't machine washable, so it got a little gross because so many people were sleeping on it. Um, but we had been able to validate our idea that, okay, like students like this, people actually like this. Um, and from there, you know, we just kept them making iterations to the product to the point where our first interaction with like launching this product or like getting actual traction was when we were on TikTok. So within a week of just posting our idea on TikTok, we were just like, hey, we make dog bed for humans. It caught fire. Everyone was like arguing over like whether this is a product that should need to exist. Some people were like, oh, I've been wanting to sleep in this, something like this for the rest of into my entire life. I've been sleeping in my dog's bed for my entire life. Like we had all these different people that we had no idea about suddenly like interested in now knowing about this concept of, of a human-sized dog bed. And from there, we, you know, overnight we had an email list grow from like 50 people to 20,000 people just from like one viral TikTok. And that was like so powerful to see. And now we had a real group of people that like actually were interested in this product. Then we could ask, start asking questions like, you know, what would you use this for? What kind of, you know, you, do you own a pet? How old are you? All these questions that we have like you no know, access to. We got a bunch of like this data for, for free of people that were actually like interested in our product. So that was just really cool. And it was most like product first and then like figuring out whether there was a demand later. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of how we approach it. Yeah, I, I love that. I love the the fact that you just basically had the idea and went for it versus, you know, getting caught in the analysis paralysis stage of trying to make it perfect before you basically went to market. But I'm curious, you know, you had that 20,000, um, you know, email subscriber base off that viral video. How did you ask those questions? How did you get that data in? And what types of tools did you use to get, get that uh, information? Yeah, so that's funny because, you know, I, that was like a year over a year ago. I knew nothing about e-commerce, like nothing. I barely knew anything about Shopify. Like we used Wix as our landing page and we were sending emails throughout Wix. Wix. So we were just using the most basic tools, like nothing fancy, like Google Forms, like anything that was free, just ask really basic questions because our goal was to funnel this into a Kickstarter campaign. Um, that was always like our goal was to launch a Kickstarter campaign. We just didn't know the exact timing of it. We knew that we had to create like an email list. We knew that we had to have traction before we should launch. We knew the basics, but we didn't know exactly like when that would be. But like at the moment we struck gold with that viral TikTok, we knew that this is our moment. Like we need to launch as soon as possible. So once we got like a little bit of data, we, you know, we were able to just like go ahead and make our campaign, make the video um, with that, that limited data. Um, but because they were so excited about the product and the concept, um, it was so easy to like funnel that interest into back right into the Kickstarter uh, yeah. because we all launched so quickly. Like we had a viral TikTok and within a month we had our Kickstarter live ready to go. Yeah, that's awesome. Now, I, I know you guys 
scaled pretty quickly to seven figures plus in, in roughly a year time frame, which is no easy feat. So I'd love to just unpack this story a little bit further. First off, let's uh, let's start with Kickstarter and Shark Tank. Um, tell us about the Kickstarter experience. And I also want to know, why did you go on Shark Tank? Yeah. So we, you know, we're taking a daily shift to like any opportunity that came came to us. And the moment our TikTok went viral, and I would say like that really like just opened up so many doors, not because of like the direct sales we made from those TikTok customers, which obviously exists, but just like the opportunities that came from that, because now this idea is now on the internet and a lot of people are talking about it. Well, the day before we posted TikTok, there was no one talking about this idea. So we went from zero to thousands, maybe tens of thousands of people talking about this product this concept that never existed. So that really changed a lot for us. Um, but that led to a Shark Tank producer who was scrolling on TikTok, uh, actually find our product and was like, uh, this sounds like something my wife would like. You know, I saw I saw this product. I think it's a cool idea. Like, are you guys interested in uh, going on Shark Tank? So before we had a single sale, before we had a single product, just a, the same prototype that we had hand-stitched, hand-made with a local just that pretty much got us like our first like in entryway into Shark Tank, which is like crazy for us because we were so early. And to get an email from like someone at Shark Tank, which was definitely on like our dream like board, like that was like a goal within like the first two to three years of our business. To happen that within like month one of launching a business officially was like uh definitely surreal. So it was a no-brainer for us. I think Shark Tank was always like on 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 the roadmap. Um our product was always like a Shark Tank product. It's a little out there, but you know still functional. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it definitely was a huge hit uh, on the sharks, but also, um, on the show itself. So yeah, definitely like was always, was always a goal of ours. To, to go awesome. So, so you, it sounds like that shark tank experience, it was before you had any sales per se, it was on the backs of that viral video you had when you were still in prototyping phase because you hadn't done a production run at that stage. Is that accurate? That's right. Yeah. When we aired, we had finished our Kickstarter campaign. Uh, no, no, sorry. When we had recorded and taped that, when we had been talking with them, yeah, we hadn't made a single, single sale yet. Nice. And I, know, I mean, look, Mark Cuban offered you guys a deal, right? So that's a that's a testament, I think, to even just how fun the the product is. And and it's it's funny because the thought that goes through my head, and even when we first met, was my wife would love this. Um, and I, I don't know, maybe that's a common theme, but it's uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool to see that you know there's um. There's a demand for a product that that not many people have have thought of. It's not a it's not a generalized product like a pair of pants or anything like that. So awesome on you for that. Now let let's talk a little bit about um, how you're currently acquiring customers and just what your acquisition strategy looks like, as well as what your retention marketing strategies look like. Yeah, totally. So right now, you know, first year we really uh, ha- relied heavily on like organic. Uh, traction as we know we know or broke college students we barely have any money to rename any money that we had went into to making our kickstarter campaign so uh we pretty much launched this business close to zero dollars uh as scrappy as possible and then pretty much leveraged the money we got into kickstarter to to expand production and and launch our product first run and you know know, do our first wave of marketing um, so, you know, first year was very heavily on TikTok, organic, a lot of press, you know, Jimmy Fallon at one point shouted us out, which was really cool. Good morning, America. 
get a shout out on us. Uh, we had just started recently Drew Barrymore try out the product on the show. All these like organic PR press, you know, uh, moments have been really critical for us and just like getting our brand out there, but also getting this concept out there. Uh, now we're really heavily like reinvesting everything that we made last year back into paid growth um, while obviously doing it carefully, just because I think there's a lot of like mistakes that can happen when you start spending money and scaling. Um, but we've been seeing some pretty good results uh, on, on Facebook um, just because like it's hard to attribute like direct convergence, but you know, we've been started investing heavily and we've just seen our top line growing month over month again. Which is really great because at one point, you know, after Shark Tank, you see a little bit of a dip after the month after Shark Tank. So you have to kind of regroup and be like, okay, Shark Tank's over. What's our strategy from here? But yeah, like paid marketing so far has been it's been a really good growth lever for us. But uh, definitely supplementing it with a lot of organic still uh, in the form of like influencers. So we've had some really cool collabs in in, in the recent times. Uh, for example, like the. The former, like I think one of the producers or the TV hosts from the Ellen show, Caitlin Allen, did a whole video on us. And, you know, that, ex you know, gave us a lot of our sales, exploded us, you know, other organic influencer opportunities has been, has been really cool. So I think, yeah, it now is the age of just like making sure you have like a well-rounded strategy, which is something that, you know, takes a lot of time. But uh, one thing we're really cognizant of, we don't want to be like relying on just like one channel. So um, that's what we're working on uh, doing right now nice so what about creative are you guys are you producing creative in-house and i i mean obviously like being it's a dog bed for humans i have this 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 uh picture in my mind of someone dressing up as a great dana lang in the bed but maybe maybe that has or has not happened so tell me about about your creative strategy how does it work <laughs> that's a whole nother community argent that to be a whole nother podcast we could uh, we could spend talking about people who dress as dogs but um <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, no, we, we definitely have made a lot of our creatives um, in the past. Now we're looking to bring some uh, content creators in-house. So we have a mom creator we're working with. We're actually actually looking for like a, a, pet, a pet mom creator um, in the talks with some. So I think it's just like the amount of creatives that you need, you know, you're familiar with that. It's a lot when you're scaling. So we're just bringing more like kind of in-house capabilities as well as like contracted creators to just be able to make videos um, that we need at scale. To this day though, the video that we made um, between me and Noah has had the highest uh, ROAS, which is interesting and, and funny. So maybe we need to get back onto like, I was telling Arjun that we just moved to Austin. So it's been a bit hectic in terms of like, just continue to be able to make content. But I think it's definitely on the, uh, on the to-do list is to, to make more content. But um, otherwise, yeah, like that's how we really scale. We've seen some good performance, performance with like static images as well. So I think those are a lot easier. You don't need that many capabilities. And yeah, overall, like it's it's not been as like difficult as I thought it would be uh, to run Facebook and to run paid marketing. It's more just time consuming to be able to like source the content, change the hook, like change the angle, messaging monitor performances it's just it's just a time-consuming thing rather than like it being like rocket science of like finding like a winner uh in terms of performance but yeah still still learning a lot and like this is my first first go at it only been doing this for a few months so i'm sure there's a bunch that i'm not i'm doing that I, like that i'm not doing yet well look i mean and and that's the i think the uniqueness of your story you've got that that product which is a super niche unique product but then also 
you know, again, you've scaled it to seven figures plus in that very short time period. So there's, you know, you're doing something right there in respect to the, like kind of creating that story. So it's just a matter of unpacking how you scale it further. Right. But, um, I, you know, I'd love to understand a little bit more about even retention. How are you, once you get a customer in, what are you doing with that data and how are you actually monetizing it down funnel? Yeah, totally. So we actually just created a Facebook group, which we're really excited about. Um, so as you might know, like we're just a one product business, which works great for us. It's super simple. Uh, you know, it makes operations a little bit easier and not as crazy as some of these other uh, founders out there. So we're definitely lucky in that sense. Um, so we're keeping it simple. We're actually launching a new product in, in two months uh, through Kickstarter again. So we're excited about that, a lower priced item. But uh, for now, we're just a one product business. Um, so it's hard, right? Like you know, repeat purchases are not a huge thing, especially when customers are buying a $400 product. So, but we still want to keep them engaged because you know, we have future products in the pipeline that we think that they love and you know that they definitely want to buy. So one way we're doing that is really growing our Facebook group. Uh, and I think like a month and two months, we've grown it to over a thousand members, which we're really excited about. Uh, we just feed, I got, got feedback on like what colors we should launch and, and all that stuff, which is great. Obviously, growing our email list from day one—that's always a goal. Um, and yeah, we always, you know, send out definitely a few campaigns a month. Uh, we try to send, uh, focus on sending personal emails here and there. You know, not just like the classic uh, discount emails, but, but continue to communicate with them, which is a really important priority of ours. Um, but yeah, those are the two main channels that I see uh, in terms of retention. Um, but, you know, continue to like also invest into like social media as well. I think we're going to, uh, try to bring on some content creators in house so we can just increase the volume of like organic content we're putting out there. Interesting. So, so, you know, when you think about how you've grown so far, your go-to-market strategy, which was basically come up with the idea and absolutely go for it. I, I'm curious along the way, what brands have inspired you or do inspire you to do what you're doing? Totally. So one brand that we really uh, looked up to when we launched was Hush Blanket, just because they're in a similar space. Um, they've grown really rapidly and you know they had a successful Kickstarter campaign. So that's one company that we were uh, you know, very much initially looking at and still are to this day, but I think they're, they're very much like the model that we, we were kind of looking up to slash um, studying and analyzing. Another company that came up that we're really like loving in terms of just like the super strong community that they have is called Nugget. Uh, we just talked, I think, to the CEO. They got a toe cold on like moms across America. Like, I mean, they, look, look. By the way, I'm a customer of Nugget. I've got I've got two kids, so I I, I understand that product really well. <laughs> right, right. And so, I mean, I didn't know about them until I, I heard about them. I didn't know about them a few months ago, and it's I I don't think people talk about them enough because they are so successful and there's their their brand their community and like talk about retention like talk about like just word of mouth like that is they, what they have built is so powerful and i think it's so inspiring to us um you know like i talk to any nugget customer like they'll probably be over the moon with like you know ever offer a discount you know they don't do the class any of the classic like e-commerce techniques but they've still grown and scaled and they're just like you know they've built a brand that's like here to stay um, so being able to talk to the founder, but also just like learning about them, uh, looking at their social media presence has been really inspiring and kind of like gives us a sense of like, uh, what kind of business that we also want to build as well. Yeah. 
So what what are your goals for the brand? I know you mentioned you're launching, you know, your single product now. It's a three ninety nine to four ninety nine four ninety nine price point. Um, what are your goals uh, for the you know coming years ahead? Yeah, totally. So I think we're going to continue along this line of like uh, the next product's also a bit ridiculous. Uh, I don't want to say too much just yet because we're working out the product uh, and still making some changes, but it's going to be very big. Uh, it's kind of like all I can say. Um, it's existing product, kind of like the dog bed, but you know, made bigger. So it's gonna be a fun one. Um, I think like along with like just continuing the angle of like human comfort, it's still like our top priority, even though a lot of people think that, you know, we should like make pet products. Um, for now, I think we're just really focused, dialed in on making comfortable items that help people feel relaxed. And, you know, it's, it's a tough time for a lot of people out there. So, and a lot of people find like, uh, that security and the safety, uh, through our product uh, and you know, find like we'd be able to release anxiety, but also their stress and stuff like that. So we want to really, that really, really enjoy making products that just help people feel better. I do think that where the real like kind of money lies is the pet space. Um, there's more pet owners like that's growing faster than like actual parents. I think is some statistic I heard, uh, at least in Seattle, I think there's more pet owners than uh, like kids or like, kid owner that's <laughs> actual parents um so that's a growing market and i think you know receiving that's a recession proof market so we are excited to gear our turn like turn our gears to to think about okay what kind of products can we launch that's a little bit more pet oriented um but i think that's a little bit further down the line once we sort of solidify ourselves as a comfort brand for for humans so yeah we got a lot of ideas i think it's just a matter of uh, figuring out like what to execute and what, what time. I love it. Well, look, I mean, you're, it's an interesting product for sure. And I, I'm just curious to get your take on one last thing before we wrap up the the podcast today. Um, price point, you know, again, 399 to, to 499. Um, and with what's happening from a macroeconomic standpoint, a lot of, you know, pullback in D2C, what are the things that you're finding as like the biggest challenges you're facing or what you're thinking about day in, day out? Yeah, totally. So, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, the price point is the biggest challenge for us, I think by, by far, you know, we, we ask all our customers, you know, why, or like people, you know, abandoned card email as well as like even people that purchase, like what's the one thing that prevented you from purchasing or almost prevented you from purchasing. It's always price. You know, I wish it was like, one feature, because then we could just talk about that feature, but you know, it's like nine to something percent of the time it's it's price. Uh, and it's tough because there's definitely a trade-off between like delivering a lower quality item uh, and pricing it cheaper or keeping quality and keeping price. So it's always a dilemma that we you know Noah and I kind of talk about um, pretty often. And we're happy with sort of the quality of the item that we're sending out. And I think that's going to really just differentiate us in the, in the long term. But regardless, it is definitely a challenge. Our customers are, you know, not, not actually like, the wealthiest, you know, they spend a good part of the discretionary income for this product. And, but a lot of them, they are happy to do that just because of like the, the feeling that our product is able to deliver, like the pillow holster, hugging them back, that comfort, as I was just talking about, really is something that a lot of people are looking for. So, you know, there's a big trade-off there, uh, which is tough. Um, that's why our new product is going to be half the price of what we're currently selling. At least that's, you know, probably launch it at a cheaper price. And we're continuously thinking about like what product can we re- release that's more affordable and accessible. You know, a lot of people are willing 
to spend a good amount of money on our, on our brand, but maybe not $400. So what products can you release that's $150, yeah. um, $200? That's, you know, delivers a lot of the same benefits and that feeling of comfort, um, but not, you know, at that price point. So yeah, we're always thinking about that. And it's always a challenge. And yeah, I think a lot of, you know, brand owners, especially even with lower price items are experiencing that. So yeah, I don't have like a perfect answer for that, but uh, it is something that we constantly think about. Cool. Great, great points, Yuki. Just before we wrap up, I'd love to get your thoughts on one last thing, which is what your advice would be to, to fellow brand owners that are doing seven figures in uh, DDC revenue and they're looking to scale. Yeah, I don't have any like strategic advice in that regard. You know, we're figuring it out. I think there's a lot that can be done. Um, you know, it's, I think it's easy to get discouraged when one thing doesn't work, but you forget that there's like 99 other things we can always constantly be doing. So as long as we feel like there's always another lever that we can be pulling or testing, you know, we don't get discouraged or we try not to get discouraged. Uh, but beyond all that, I think it's just important for us to, to be enjoying what we were doing. Um, obviously like success and like chasing the next figures and all that stuff is always like guiding us to, to the next, like, you know, it's important to have targets and goals. But at the same time, like you don't want to lose sight of what, why we did this in the first place was to just have fun and to learn. And those two things are very true in our business. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're young still. So yeah, I think that a lot of mistakes are to come, but, and you know, a lot of obstacles and challenges are definitely to come, but at the same time, you know, we're, we're doing, we're doing, we're like living out our dream right now, just to be able to do what we're doing, what we want to do, uh, is exactly this. So I think that's important just be, be grateful for, you know, be able to be able to have a business, uh, and be able to have something that you want to spend so many hours doing. So. Um, not so much advice, but that's just something that, you know, keeps to me happy and, and motivated to keep going. Awesome. I've never met somebody so passionate about dog beds for humans. So good, good on you. I can feel your passion. Yuki, it's been great having you on the show today. Uh, for anyone in Austin, Yuki and his co-founder just moved to Austin. So hit them up. Uh, and if you're interested in checking out Pluffle, check out wearepluffle.com. It's P-L-U-F-L. Uh, is how the brand is spelled. So Yuki, again, thanks so much for joining. And to all of our listeners out there and, and those watching, stay tuned for the next episode of Hypergrowth, where we'll continue to unpack what it takes to scale uh, an e-commerce business. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye.